I don't believe in the Brooklyn Nets as a championship contender um, because not of even defense. a contender. Wow. They're not a contender. Not even they, a contender. I don't think they can win the East. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of There's a Lot Going On, the only podcast that got thrown out of an NBA game quicker than Udonis Haslam. I'm David Oreo, joined as always by my co-host Tom Shively. Tom, it's another Sunday, but it's not our usual Sunday. Before you go, Tom, I have to cede the floor to our esteemed guest, the one and only Jordan Christmas. He's the host of the Sly Hooper podcast and the co-host of the Box Out Banter podcast. Jordan, before Tom goes, how are you doing on this Sunday? Uh, I'm doing great. It's it's honestly, hate to do the cliche, talk about the weather, but it is a beautiful day. I see your guys' Zoom videos. It looks like it's a beautiful day out there on the East Coast. Uh, and I'm just ready to talk some hoops now that uh, some of the seeds are settled in, at least mostly, I hope. <laughs> uh, it's actually pouring rain right outside my apartment right now. So uh, maybe not oh, as optimistic as I thought. But, uh, you know, kind of enigma, kind of uh, emblematic of the Celtic season. So, you know, we're just uh, we're ready to move on, playing coming up. But, uh, yeah, excited. Good to have you on the show. Yeah, it's good to be here. Had to, uh, you know, hop on. Uh, Tom, I hope to have you on the Sly Hooper podcast soon. I already David's already hopped on. So, you know, hopefully we could do more home and homes in the future. So. Happy to be on the towel go. Well, guys, we're we're going to be breaking down during this episode the NBA play-in tournament and the NBA playoffs. Nothing else really to talk about this week other, other than the WNBA has had a huge opening weekend, but we'll have plenty of time throughout the rest of the season to talk about the WNBA. We're going to start with the one thing as we record that is basically set in stone, and that's the Eastern Conference, specifically the Eastern Conference play-in tournament. So, the play-in tournament matchups will be as follows, Tom. As you mentioned, the Boston Celtics will face off against the Indiana pa- against excuse me the Washington Wizards to for the right to I don't even know how to describe the play-in tournament. So basically, the seventh seed will play the eighth seed. Winner will be the seventh seed, and then the loser of that will play the winner of the nine ten matchup. So the Celtics will play the Pacers. Winner will be the seventh seed. We'll start with that matchup, Tom. You follow the Celtics. You love the Celtics. It's been a rough season for them. What's the outlook in this game against the Pacers? Uh, they're playing the Wizards, actually. But, oh, um, the, I keep saying the Pacers. The, the way I'm, I have it set up here, I keep saying the Pacers. I don't know why, but it's the Wizards. You know, Dave, I wish it was the Pacers because Washington is playing as hot as anybody. We talked a little bit about it last week. The playing was really beneficial for a team like them. I said at the time they wouldn't have made it otherwise, but they ended up being like the eighth best team in the East, so they would have made it, but... You worry about, obviously, a guy like Westbrook, all the records he's broken this year. Uh, Bradley Beal's always a threat. And, you know, not having Jalen Brown, some questions around Walker and Smart's health. I, I, I am worried about the Wizards. The Wizards are kind of the one team you don't want to see if you're Boston. I think they have the explosive enough scoring. They don't necessarily have somebody that's elite inside that could give the Celtics a lot of trouble. And I think that they catch a little bit of a break, whereas somebody like Indiana might have a better inside player. Like you think about Turner or Sabonis, but... It's going to be tough with Westbrook and Beal to, to, to win that game, and they're going to have to earn the seventh seed if they want it. Obviously, you get the Nets or the Sixers. I don't really love them if they move on against either one of those teams, but it'd be nice to get them for, for more than two more games this year. I, I, I think they'll get it done against Washington. Yeah, um, if this was uh, one of – so at the beginning of the season, right, when, uh, you know, or, at, you know, when the 
Wizards traded for Russell Westbrook and you thought of the pairing of, you know, him and Bradley Beal. It was one of those things where, you know, you would thought with that much talent, the Wizards would be in the fourth seed. And then, of course, they had kind of an off start to the year. Westbrook was obviously hurt. And then we come to find out he was playing with a torn quad to or a tear in his quad to start the season. And then they were also one of the teams that were hit the most by COVID. So they kind of were slow to start. But, you know, they've been one of the hotter teams in the NBA, like Tom said. I think there are 17 and seven in their last uh, 21 games or so. And you would think, you know, um, the Wizards, you, the reputation with them is, you know, they're a bad defensive team. Well, really, since April 15th, they've been, I think, top 10 in defensive rating. And um, also, of course, their offense has just, it, it was always going to be good when you have those two. And Russell Westbrook has just been, it's one of the, he's been on one of those tears that we saw in Houston when he was in Houston last year for those two months where he was playing the best basketball of his career. And he's just been on a triple double spree. Now, and then obviously the Celtics season has just been, it's been disappointing as uh, Tom alluded to earlier, but now with, you know, the Jalen Brown injury, I that's obviously doesn't, doesn't help things. Um, also, they're defensively, they haven't been usually up to the, they haven't been up to the bill like their usual selves in past years. And so I, I don't know though. Part of me still thinks like Jason Tatum is just going to be in that matchup nightmare for anybody now at this point in his career, especially in this point in his development. And so while the Wizards have been better defensively, I still think there are some possible mismatches they could attack, um, especially with the with Jason Tatum now probably taking more responsibility than he should. Um, but I think this matchup is a bit more interesting than I than you would think on paper, at least heading into it. But you'd have to think with Russell Westbrook and Brad Bradley Beal and maybe you know Beal play maybe it depends on Beal's hamstring injury too but with the way Westbrook is playing you would have to take your chances I'd have to take their chances you know in a you know win all scenario right yeah I I think though the the one the one thing Tom kind of alluded to which is the Celtics interior defense has been bad essentially as long as like these last couple of years since they lost Al Horford essentially their interior defense has not been very good and right. so Tom mentioned you know there's not really a big man on the Wizards who can take advantage of that but Russell Westbrook lives and dies by his ability to get to the paint he's not a good shooter so if he can get to the hole create for himself and then kick out create for others I think that's going to be a major problem for the Celtics. And yes, Jason Tatum can maybe do enough to carry them through in that scenario. But I just think without Jalen Brown, this Celtics team, they had a disappointing season to start. And then, Tom, you mentioned, you know, injuries to Kemba Walker have really slowed them down. Marcus Smart hasn't really been the same since he came back from his injury. Rob Williams has had some issues as well. Yeah, they, they don't have the guys yep. I feel like around Tatum to not only like maybe beat the Wizards but really to make any sort of a deep push which is just shocking to me because going into the year you know we talked about the Celtics as kind of like that next tier below the contenders because when we started the year Tom we had said you know Sixers Nets even if they don't make a trade the Bucks, those are the and the Heat those are the contenders with the Celtics a step below them but not like a huge step below them 
it's a canyon right now between the contenders and the Boston Celtics. And this just gives me another opportunity to say Danny Ainge failed. His rebuild was a failure. (laughs) I think, first of all, I don't think he should be brought back at the end of the season. I think they should go in a different direction because Danny Ainge had all the picks in the world and this is the team he ended up with. Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Marcus Smart. Those are the pieces he chose to build around and it's an abject failure. They did not do enough to put themselves in a position to win by going out and getting any of the big players who have been available these last couple of years. And I, I just think I think it's going to doom them in these playoffs and it's going to doom them for the next couple of years until they figure out what's next. I don't think Danny Ainge is the reason that Jalen Brown got hurt. I agree with you that... No, no, the, no. I, I'm not saying that he's the reason he got hurt. I'm saying the pieces around Jalen, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are just not good enough. And if they were, they wouldn't, they'd be better than the Knicks and the Hawks. Let's just be honest about it. If they were healthy all year, maybe they would be. You know, I'm not trying to blame injuries, but it it's a fact. You know, they had a down year. Philly had a down year last year with injuries, and, and here we are. So I, I don't no, think it's fair to say. Philly had a down year because they decided they were going to go heavy on power forwards in free agency. <laughs> Again, a failure of a general manager. Was the process a success, Dave? I, yes. I, See, I will not continue to litigate the the facts of the process. The point of the process, and this is what I said to someone the other day, was to come away with one, maybe two generational talents. There's no doubt they got at least one, and it's Joel Embiid. So if you left that with one top 10 NBA player, which they unquestionably did, then yeah, the process was a success. You don't have to win a title for the process to be a success because the point of the process was never you know, we're going to win a title. He said, you need top players to win titles. So if we can get a top player, then we can start building toward a title. And that's exactly what they did. They have a top 10 player and now they can build toward a championship. So the process is a success. If they don't win the championship, it's still a success. It's already a success. Okay. One seed in the East. They're going to the conference finals this year. It is unquestionably already a success. Jordan, before you, you, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I could tell you as a uh, Sixer fan who hasn't seen them win the top seed in the East since he was nine years old, the process was a success. I have seen a lot of mediocre Sixer basketball, and I have seen more 50-win teams in my life already than the <laughs> than the 2001 Sixers. Um, so the process is a success. If the goal of the process was to, you know, get players to win a championship, which is what you need, then yes, by definition, the process was a success. Always love a good process relitigation. I do want to be fair to the Celtics because I can't help myself but to do that, even though I do like, as a Sixer fan, seeing the Celtics fall. Uh, the, the big signings the Celtics did have, I did love the Gordon Hayward signing. I actually thought the Kimba Walker signing was a good pivot from Kyrie. It's just that injuries happen. It It's just the luck of the draw. And, um, you know, they then they also remember we signed Al Horford and it was cut. Celtics fans were already kind of have to be fair to uh, the Celtics, even though their downfall is funny. And Danny Ainge still probably did a good, not a good enough job with all the picks he had. I will admit that as well. But their big free agent signings did get hurt. But when they were healthy and, you know, heading into the season with projections, it was like, oh, wow, this team is stacked. But 
that's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes but i do like this i do like the wizards in this matchup the more that i you know think about it uh the more that i think about you know how the celtic season has gone like you guys mentioned with injuries um smart not being the same kimba he'll have one game where it's like oh the shifty kimba's back the cardiac kimba's back but then the next game he can't you know blow by bigger you know wing defenders like you usually see him do it's kind of rough to pick the celtics in any type of scenario right now um and this is objective me speaking not sixer fan jordan speaking <laughs> all-star jalen brown hurt you know i will uh i will go to my grave saying you know if jalen brown was healthy this year no one no one knows no one knows what could have happened and yeah sure we actually know that they wouldn't have gone anywhere but i'm gonna sit here and pretend that you know they would have had some success with Jalen brown so that's that's what'll keep me awake that's what'll put me to bed at night my last thing here on the celtics before we move on my my complaint is still that they had all those draft picks and they just never made a move like the whole point of having those assets is to make a move for an Anthony Davis when he becomes available. Like, like ask yourself right now, would you rather have both of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, or would you rather have one of them and Anthony Davis? I'd rather have one of them and Anthony Davis. And that's what Danny Ainge, Danny Ainge decided he'd rather have both and nobody as opposed to one of them and a star. And to me, that was the wrong decision. So that's my thing with the Celtics. I think if they made one, did like one of those moves, they maybe are in a different position. But he decided to build through the draft and free agency. It's a different way of going about it. And yes, I liked a lot of his free agent moves. But, you know, this is where we are now. And it is what it is. Uh, we haven't talked at all about the Pacers and the Hornets, the other two teams in the East. Do we think those teams have a shot to make it into the play-in tournament? Who, who are the two teams we think are coming out of this play-in tournament of the four that we've listed? Uh, do you want do you want me to go first? So I would go with I would so I would go with uh, the Wizards and the Hornets actually as my two teams. I think the Hornets are getting healthier at the right time. Um, I think with LaMelo back also, I think that's going to help out the Hornets quite a bit because I think he's been really abnormal. He's had a really like abnormally good year, even for a rookie. And I know there's like some fourth quarter stuff that makes it seem like, you know, um, the Hornets play better with LaMelo. I just don't think that's the case when you watch them. Um, I just, I really like the Hornets as a team. I think they're well coached. I see Indiana as a team who's falling apart at the seams. Uh, we might come to think of it, you know, it, it turns out that roster might actually be a little bit more overrated than we gave it credit for, especially considering the job Nate McMillan is now doing with the Hawks, who we'll probably talk about later. Um, but with the stuff going on with Nate Bjorkian, um, still not having a TJ Warren, I still feel like Karis LeVert is still trying to like fit in with the Pacers as well. I um, Just as a... Uh, fit as a score first guy um I, I like Sabonis and Brogdon a lot as well but it when you just look at the rest of the roster it turns out it might have been just a little bit overrated heading into the season and when they got off to that nice start where I was like wow the Pacers look like a conference finalist team and Sabonis was averaging like 22 and 11 at that point also um but if you if I just look at the two teams that are playing right now the Hornets getting healthier at the right time and the Wizards are just 
on this really unbelievable streak where even in their losses, they're losing by like three points or less um, with the way Westbrook's playing. Um, the Beal hamstring injury, like I mentioned earlier, that's obviously we're going to be watching for that. But I look at the Wizards and Hornets as the two play-in teams right now that I see as the uh, seven and eight seeds respectively. Hornets are getting healthy at the right time, but they're just they're not winning at the right time. They've lost their last five. And I, I think Indiana with Sabonis is an all-star. I, I, I just like the Pacers a little bit more in that matchup. I got to pick the Celtics to beat the Wizards, and I'll take the Wizards over the Pacers. So I like Celtics 7, Wizards 8 is how I would shake it out. I think I would just flip, flip that from you, Tom. I like the Wizards. I think the Wizards will beat the Celtics just because of the – like, honestly, the Russell Westbrook factor, I think he's going to be too hard to stop inside. And if Beal is like 80% of the player he's been this season, they'll be fine. They'll have plenty of points. And I think it's going to come down to who can score more points. And I don't trust the Celtics on that end. I think then when it comes down to the Hornets and the Celtics, because I think the Hornets are going to beat the Pacers. I think that's more of think like Portland and Memphis last year. I think there's going to be one guy, Jason Tatum, who just does enough to will his team into the playoffs. I I just don't see a scenario where Jason Tatum doesn't get the Celtics into that eight seed against Philadelphia. Now, granted, it'd probably be a bloodbath against Philadelphia, but like I I think he wants it enough that they'd at least get into the playoffs. So I'll I'll take the Celtics as my eight seed. So just flipping it from you, Tom. Let's take a look now at the rest of the Eastern Conference since, again, at this point we're recording, it's almost all set. The one question mark is still whether or not Brooklyn or Milwaukee will be the number two seed, but it looks like based off the matchups tonight that Brooklyn will be the two seed and Milwaukee will be the three seed. So let's look at, let me ask you guys, let's look, looking at these first round matchups, excluding obviously the one eight and the one and the two seven. So the other two matchups, the four five and the three six. Which of these games is more intriguing to you guys? And we'll talk about that one. Um, I am interested in uh, the Bucks heat uh, matchup because I want to see, you know, what adjustments does Bud make? The one of the reasons, and I mentioned it, you know, before we started recording, but when David was on my podcast uh, back in February, we didn't really fear the Bucks as one of those teams. And I acknowledge they were experimenting and, you know, trying different things because, you know, the last year's playoff exit was honestly for a contender like them was unacceptable. Um, so it's just, we knew Bud was going to be experimenting throughout the season. I Now I want to see what that experimentation leads to because I think Drew Holiday has obviously shown he, well, I mean, it was obvious even when the trade was made he's not Eric Bledsoe uh Holiday has been long one of the underrated def- uh players in the NBA one of the best guard defenders in the NBA and also a really great offensive option um so I've seen Bud mix it up a lot Giannis is in the dunker spot more Giannis also has he has more confidence in me you know you say whatever we can about his jump shot and yes we would live with Giannis if you're an opponent you would live with Giannis shooting jumpers he just seems to be more comfortable taking pet shots pet moves like he he clearly has spots on the floor now that he likes more than ever and he's more confident in taking you know whether it's the 15 foot turnaround or whatever or there his the little hook shot he has in the post that's gotten better so i've seen more mental developments with Giannis in the game just in terms of it slowing down manipulating his gravity so he could you know make 
better passes. Like, I think he's taken a leap as a passer as well. So I want to see what type of adjustments the Bucks have for the Heat this time around because the Heat are clicking at the right time. They went to the finals the year before, so they're more bat- they are battle tested also. So, what adjustments is Bud going to make when the Heat start building the wall? Because um, I still think the Heat have the personnel to do that. Um, I think the Raptors also had the other uh, were the other team I thought that had the personnel to you know do the wall because you need elite wing defenders in spades and i think the heat have that still especially when bam is like the versatile head of the snake there on that for that defense so i want to see what the bucks do um are the buck did their adjustments has their experimentation paid off will they switch a bit more will they run more chris middleton Giannis pick and roll drew holiday Giannis pick and roll when it's crunch time well that's what i want to see the most the four or five matchups interesting for sure but in terms of we we get to see bucks heat again in round one now i really want to see what the bucks are made of yeah i think the fact that we get it again after last year you know Obviously, they lose in five. The one game they win is without Giannis. They, you know, they've been the number one. They've been the one seed the last two years, and this year kind of feels like there's a little bit of a less expectations on them than there have been in the past. And I, I, I don't know because the Bucks have either like been the seven seed or the one seed the past few years. But I think in being kind of under the radar more it could be good for Giannis. And I think Spolstra never gets enough credit for what they do in Miami. They're another team, you know, we talked about all the Celtics problems, but the Heat have been injury plagued all year. They've had some COVID problems, you know, Jimmy, Bam, all the guys. You go down the list, Hero's been hurt for a while. They're a fun team to watch, and they're they're another one of those teams that's clicking at the right time. So I I could really see it going either way. I lean Milwaukee just because I think Giannis is gonna have his way a little bit more than he did last year. And I think we, we saw some of the Heat guys that were so good in the bubble regress a little bit this year, but uh, I, I do think this is going to be one of the more an interesting series and probably the interesting series in the East in the first round. A uh, quick question before uh, David goes. Do you guys feel like this Bucks team is better than past Bucks teams? Because I definitely I feel that way. I know the record might not be the same, but I really do think Holiday being upgraded at that position over Bledsoe. And yeah, the Bogdanovich thing fell through um, and all that. But I still feel like this roster, while maybe the depth at the back end isn't as good, I think the top end is good. And I think they can play more lineups now, now that they have like PJ Tucker in them. I just feel like this Bucks team is better than the, any of the teams Giannis has had in his career. Well, yeah, I think the Bucks. I think you kind of hit on it there. They're a lot more versatile than in terms of what they can do than they've been in years past because in years past it's kind of been all right take away the paint from Giannis and force them to just beat us and so I think adding Drew Holiday to the mix you it's harder to take away Giannis if you have somebody else who can be the primary ball handler because when they were forcing Giannis to essentially be the primary ball handler on every possession because Eric Bledsoe just wasn't good enough at it you were able to just wall off and take away the entirety of the paint from him. Now, with somebody who is more capable at facilitating an offense, you can be a little more experimental. You can bring out P.J. Tucker and play him as a a small ball five or play Giannis at the five and have Tucker at the four. That way you can really spread the floor out even more. I think my concern when it comes to Milwaukee, not only in this series, but when it comes to them playing some other teams... Their deficiencies the last couple of years, when they were the one seed specifically, 
had nothing to do with the talent on the team. They were good enough to beat the Toronto Raptors. They were good enough yep. last year to beat the Miami Heat. Granted, Giannis gets hurt and that kind of you know, flew out the window a little bit. But Mike Budenholzer hasn't been good enough to coach this team to the NBA Finals. That's now, the big question. Exactly. And does he have... Now, I think his advantage here, the only clear in that I use that word very specifically the only obvious coaching mismatch he has here is against the Miami Heat and so for them to draw the heat in the first round when it's a direct you know you're coming right from the postseason or from the regular season the heat are coming in a little bit hot Tyler Hero has started to find his groove again which has been a big complaint heat fans have had all year that Tyler Hero just wasn't the same player coming out of the bubble I think it's going to be a bit of a problem for them. Now, the good thing, having Drew Holiday, I think, allows them to match up better with some of these other guys like Tyler Hero, like Duncan Robinson. You know, Duncan Robinson just wants to run around off screens. And I think Milwaukee has the personnel now to kind of guard that a little bit better. So I think I'm with you. I lean Milwaukee. I think they're the better basketball team. But it's going to come down to Mike Budenholzer in terms of if they win a championship or not. And I'm still not sold on him as a head coach for them to win a title. I think they are a major threat, but I don't know if they should be the favorites in the East. Yeah, I I, had, I tweeted out recently like a ranking of like if me as a Sixer fan who I'd rather face, and it was one A Miami, and that was because they had the defensive personnel one to match up with the Sixers, but. Eric Spolstra, first and foremost, is just a mastermind when it comes to coaching to a single game or a single season. We see the Heat in, in seasons past, they'll maybe start off slow or they'll have a rough patch. And then all of a sudden they just turn it around and it's like, oh, look at the Heat. They are kind of on a hot streak right now, you know. And, uh, you know, Bam and Jimmy have obviously have been mainstays, but this team has been obviously hit by COVID, by injuries. Hero has had a down year. Duncan Robinson has, I wouldn't say he fell back down to earth because he's still an elite shooter. But when you look at his shooting numbers compared to last year, it's not the same either. Teams are obviously game planning for him a bit more as well because we all know that he liked to run off of, a ton of screens and didn't dribble handoffs with Bam, and I think they've just been better at defending that. Um, they've they've come together at the right time, and then one B, I had the Bucks because their big three I think is a legit big three, but I put them below the Heat because of that reason exactly. Is Mike Budenholzer, and you then you would say, well, what about the Nets? I the Nets big three. I think the Net there's a good chance the Nets could just you know base race everybody to the to the title um but i they don't have the defensive personnel to i they just don't have the defensive personnel to me to like matt to me for me to fear in terms of teams of rankings who would i rather face it's scary facing those guys but in terms of defense like even with the sixers like you know, offensive flaws that you can foresee in the playoffs, that team's just going to score easily against I think any team's going to score easily against the Nets, even if they put together like a few defensive stretches where it's like, oh, okay, the Nets just need two minutes of good defense and then outscore everybody and then it's over. I just, the Bucks, this is a good big test for Mike Budenholzer because I was in on him when the Bucks hired him. And then after these two playoffs, I was like, I'm out. Buck's Twitter has been out on him mostly, and it's like, what's going to happen, you know? Yeah, let, let's talk about the Nets then, because we brought the Nets up a little bit there. 
I just want to point out, because you mentioned it, they're ranked 22nd in the league in defensive rating. By my understanding, the last team to win the championship and not have at least a top 20 defensive rating was the Los Angeles Lakers in 2000, I believe it was 2002. They were ranked 21st in defensive rating, and it was coming off of a year in which they had the number one defense in basketball. So I think like that is my thing with the Nets, is not only are they bad at defense, there's nobody on the team who has ever shown me a propensity to turn it on and be great on defense. If your best interior defender is Kevin Durant, and two of the... two of the potential matchups you have are against Joel Embiid or Giannis, that's a problem. If you can't defend the paint and you have to go against Joel Embiid, maybe the best post scorer in the NBA, you're going to be at a major disadvantage. And I think with the Nets, yeah, you mentioned they have the scoring prowess and that's no question. They probably have, you know, the best first, second, and third options in the NBA. But if you can't stop anyone on defense... It's just going to be the first guy to score 130 points. And if the other team can play even a sliver of defense, well, that's going to be a little bit of a problem. And I think as Tom and I have kind of, Tom, you you can go next, but like as kind of you and I have laid out all year, you know, you can't stop Kevin Durant, in my opinion. So then the focus shifts to how do we slow down Kyrie Irving and James Harden? I think Kyrie Irving's honestly, depending on who he gets matched up against, won't be the most difficult person to slow down, especially because it seems like his focus is rarely on basketball and what's going on on the court. He seems to be, you know, it's the advantages and disadvantages of being somebody as worldly as Kyrie Irving. You know, he, he's not always focused on the basketball of it, and he already has his ring. You know, I, I have a lot of questions about Kyrie Irving in that sense, but I, I just think it, they're going to be a team that, in the early rounds, yeah, you're not going to beat them because they're just going to outscore you. But as it gets later into the postseason, the game slows down even more. It's going to be harder and harder to get baskets. You're going to need to get stops. And I just don't I don't see them as a team who can get stops. And it, it's going to be, it, I don't know. I, I don't believe in the Brooklyn Nets as a championship contender um, because not of even a contender. Wow. They're not a contender. Not even they, a contender. I don't think they can win the East. So I, they... I'm not going that far. I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, sorry, Tom. You could go. I, I'm just not going that far, though. <laughs> two, two things about the defensive argument first. One, the 2002 Lakers, and we've talked about this on the pod, complete sham of a ring. Got absolutely robbed the oh, Sacramento Kings go. did in the Western Conference Finals. <laughs> Second point is they were 30th earlier in the season. They're now 22nd. So that shows improvement. And, you know, they've been better recently. I'm not going to go far as saying they're good, but they've been better since the addition of Blake Griffin. Obviously, he's not the only reason they're better. But the bottom line is good offense beats great defense every time. And I've been saying it all season. You can say, you can say, yeah, Durant's going to get his and kind of discount that and going to go who else it is. All right, you look at the Sixers, right? If that was the Eastern Conference Finals matchup, you kind of say Durant is going to get his. And then on the Sixers, you know, Embiid is going to get his. So who do you like on the other side? Do you like Harden and Kyrie? Or do you like Ben Simmons, Steph, sorry, Seth Curry, Tobias Harris? Like, which cast of characters do you like more? And for me, it's the Nets. On that offensive end, you have two of the most prolific scorers we've ever seen still on that team, even with Kevin Durant. And I think you can you can maybe stop one and a half of them. You can stop, you know, Kyrie maybe for the whole game, and maybe you can contain Harden for a little while. But 
they're just going to wear down on you. And that, and that's the biggest problem for me is you talk about first team to 130 and every time I picture it, the Nets can always be the first team to get to 130. And, and that's the biggest problem for me is still, you can talk about their defensive liability, but what they bring on offense to me is just more important than what they're losing on defense. And I think th- this is kind of a good barometer for where the NBA is at. This is kind of a social experiment this year in the NBA. Kind of the Nets are the pure offensive team and it's kind of proving you know how important defense really is in the league. So if they go on and win it all and kind of boat race everybody, then you know maybe defense wasn't that important all along. Real quick, Jordan, before you go, I, I actually think that matchup in particular really highlights that because the Sixers now, after their performance there night, are the top defensive rated team in the league and the Nets are the top offensive rated team in the league. So we would have on full display what is more important, offense or defense, because I mean, we can talk about the Sixers now a little bit, but we've mentioned a couple times they definitely have offensive flaws because Embiid is your clear 1A, we're going to go to him, our offense is going to run through the post through Joel Embiid. Ben Simmons is kind of hit or miss on offense here or there. He creates a lot, but he's not really going to score a lot of his own buckets. It, I don't know why he does that. He When he's aggressive, he's great, but he kind of comes in and out of his aggression um, as he kind of wants to. Tobias Harris started the season incredibly hot. This last like month and a half, Tobias Harris has looked a lot more like 2020 Tobias Harris as opposed to 2021 Tobias Harris, and that should concern every Sixers fan. And then the other guys, Seth Curry is kind of your, you know, you he doesn't shoot nearly as many threes as you'd want a guy like him to do. Danny Green trends on Twitter consistently either because he's extremely hot or because he's extremely cold. And then the guys they bring off the bench, you know, and again, Tom, this just kind of supports your argument, but Matisse Thibault's I would argue their biggest threat off the bench, and he's going to give you nothing offensively. You're bringing him in because of his defense. Shake Milton is kind of hit or miss. Same thing on offense. When he's hot, he's hot. When he's cold, he is ice cold. And it's a bit of a concern when you look at the makeup of the Sixers and you start to ask who is going to be the second option because Embiid, you know, is going to be the first, but who's going to be that guy that steps up in the playoffs to get his on offense? So, um, I I will say with Tobias, uh, you're right. His play over the last month has been kind of concerning, but I also think he's been, he, the the play has kind of really dipped since he came back from the knee injury. So I wonder how much that is still affecting him. Um, There are some signs that maybe, because like even with that eight game winning streak they were on before the, before they lost these recent two, before beating Orlando, uh, the play was still concerning. Like they should, there there were teams they should have just blown out completely. Um, like the Houston game, for example, letting them back in it a little bit. Um, the games like that where you just see that the offensive flaws are starting to come through, and it really with Ben Simmons, I just really wish I don't even care about the jump shot. I never really have as much as other people because I don't think he's ever going to be a credible shooter anyway. I just want to see him attacking downhill more consistently. And that little hook shot he had, you know, for the first half of the season where it was like, oh, he might have an offensive move finally to go to in the post. That's been really bad also. His post-ups have been bad. His scoring has been bad. And I'm just wondering... Um, if aggressive Ben is going to show up in these playoffs, maybe, you know, with the playoffs shifting, maybe the mindset will change a little bit, but 
yeah, there the offensive flaws are still kind of concerning. Tobias has to answer the he's not going to answer it completely, but the where are we going to get our perimeter half-court scoring from? And Tobias, to me, for the most of it, was kind of answering that question. Like, maybe he might not be the full answer, but he he's an option. He's a solution, at least, to at least try. And that his play has been concerning recently. I also wish Tobias would shoot more threes. <laughs> just off the catch, just shoot more threes. I think Danny Green, he's a little bit he's a little bit more hot than cold than I would probably say for for you at least uh, David at least uh, when I watch him play. Um he's one of the best corner three-point shooters in the league and he's always just going to make great defensive plays off ball. I'm worried about him putting him on Kyrie or Harden one-on-one because I think he's just going to get roasted. Anybody will get roasted, but 36-year-old Danny Green guarding those guys. I kind of don't I don't like those odds, uh you know, but um I, as far as the the thing that the Sixers could hang their hats on at least is the defensive end of the court and at least yeah, their offense is not going to be the best. If they make it a mud fight, I will definitely take my chances with Joel Embiid being the number one scoring option in a mud fight. But Brooklyn's offense, which is why I I wouldn't go as far as to say they're not a contender. I actually would still slightly favor the Nets to come out of the East, if I'm being honest, just because of those three guys. But the Sixers do have something to hang their hat on and it's the defensive end of the court. And I do think they have options at least to make the nets uh, think about it on offense a little bit, but the you're right. The half court scoring does concern me. I don't think the Sixers jack up enough threes. I really wish they would. I wish Ben Simmons would get back to attacking downhill and getting to the free throw line. His free throw shooting has also been a huge concern of mine since the all-star break. Ben has been really bad shooting free throws. Um, I think before the all-star break, he was shooting like 65%, which was a career high and a slight improve. It was an improvement, but he's been shooting below the fifties, I believe since, uh, since the all-star break and it there's just there's just cracks that you have seen with the Sixers over the last few weeks that are just it's really concerning and with the path they have now have laid out in front of them to the Eastern Conference Finals this is the easiest path and the path I would have preferred just so they could get reps going into the Conference Finals but it's right to me there's no excuses now the path is right in front of them if they don't beat whoever comes out as the eighth seed, if they don't beat whoever wins the Knicks and Hawks four five matchup, that's on them because those they are legit better teams than whoever's in the eighth seed and whoever comes out of that four five matchup. And if their flaws are that bad to where they can't beat those teams back to back series, then one it's because doc won't adjust because he's a plan a guy and not much else after that, um, which was my concern when we hired him. And also just the flaws are too big and you're going to definitely have some questions going into the season. There's no excuse of why they shouldn't win these first two rounds. Well, I, I think that's like, I think that's my thing with them is it, if they have such a clear path to the conference finals and say the heart, if the hardest series they have is like a five game series against the Knicks, say a Knicks series goes five, they'll likely be more rested than whoever they're playing and probably because of the rest be healthier than whoever they're playing because so far this year the nets have not shown an ability to stay healthy and they actually have, are reliant on two guys who historically throughout their career cannot stay healthy and kevin durant and kyrie irving 
And then when you look at that, like Milwaukee's, I think Milwaukee easily in the East now has the toughest path to make it to the NBA Finals because mm-hmm. to make the NBA Finals, they have to beat the defending Eastern Conference champion Miami Heat, the Brooklyn Nets and James Harden, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, and then they have to beat the one seed Philadelphia 76ers if they're going to get to just the NBA Finals. Uh, like to me, in terms of winning the title. I don't think even if Milwaukee gets to the finals, they'd be able to win the title because they're just going to be it's they're going to be in a boxing fu- match with every team they fu- they play, and yeah, maybe that's how they want to play, but they're just going to be taking left hook after left hook, and it's it's going to be rough. It's going to be really really rough if you're the Milwaukee Bucks, where the Sixers. They kind of are going to get an easy match, especially if it's the Celtics. No offense to the Celtics, but specifically if it's the Celtics, because I think the Wizards give the Sixers some matchup problems with Beal and Westbrook. The Celtics offer them no matchup problems because they're going to put Simmons on Tatum and then the Celtics have no answer for Joel Embiid. So that would be, in my opinion, a four-game sweep and would be kind of poetic justice after the (laughs) four-game sweep last year. But... I had 4-1 in 2018, so the Celtics are still up one, even if they get swept this year, by the way. Hey, listen, it doesn't matter. Doesn't doesn't none of that matters. Past, past doesn't is matter, the past. Tom. Yeah. Poetic justice. Present. We just referenced the past, but the past doesn't matter. Okay. All right, I'll put my Tom, hand on I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, so I I think the Sixers have the easiest path, not only of a team in the East, but of any team in the playoffs to potentially go to the NBA Finals because I I think no matter who you pick in the West, they're going to have a tough path to the NBA Finals. Um, Let's, if Tom, you're done on the East, let's transition to the Western Conference playoffs where things are still all up in the air. Nothing we talk about now in terms of seeding is going to be accurate. So let's just talk about teams instead. The The number one team in the West and the number two team in the West are the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns. Tom, you and I are on record as the most fraudulent team in the NBA being the one seed at Utah Jazz. Oh, wait, is it? Do you guys slander the Jazz on this podcast, too? What's not there to slander? Not, I mean, come on. Yeah, okay, yeah, because me and my co-host on the box out banter, Chris Okamura, we it's not a bit because it is kind of a kernel of truth in our hearts, but we slander the Jazz. I do have to I do have to hand up. I did pick the Jazz to not make the playoffs this year. So that's on me. I did not pick them as one of my top eight teams preseason. That's on me. I will own that. Yeah, I mean I mean that was a, a failure on your part, Tom. Uh, I think in the East, the only team that I didn't get right was the Knicks. They came out of nowhere. Uh I had the Pacers in the playoffs and not the Knicks because I be mean, fair, we all they, got that one wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and then in in the West, I'm looking now. The only team I got wrong in the West, it, it, it depends on who the eight seed is because I picked the Grizzlies as my eight seed, and if the Grizzly, if the Warriors end up getting bounced, I got all eight teams right in the West. I just did not see this order being what it is. But let, let's talk about those top seeds. Do we do we consider them to be? the favorites in the West to come, to make it to the finals? Or do you consider the one-seeded Jazz and the two-seeded Suns to either of them be the favorites to win the West, or is it somebody else? I think it's, I, I think it's hard to say the Suns are a favorite, especially with you know this being kind of the first year that any of that nucleus outside of Chris Paul has ever been to the playoffs. I think the Jazz, I could be convinced a little bit more because they've been there. You know, they've won playoff series in the past, kind of with that core. 
group of, you know, Mitchell, Goberry throwing somebody like Ingles has been there for a while. And, and obviously you got like Mike Conley, you got some good odd additions, but it's hard to say LeBron James and Anthony Davis aren't the favorites right now. Even if they are in the plan, I think if you had to pick a team that, that scares you the most, it would be the Lakers. And, and it's hard pressed to see anybody beating the Lakers in a seven game series. But the caveat, you may not have to beat them in a seven game series. You get a team like the Warriors that plays the Lakers and Steph Curry gets one game, you know, that's going to be the most challenging part for the Lakers. And the other thing with them is, uh, we, I've kind of been hitting on it all year is, you know, they played in the finals in October and they got two months off and you're looking at another deep postseason run with a team that already isn't hundred percent healthy. Like there have to be some red flags there with both LeBron and AD, how consistently they can play. Can they bring it for another two months here against, as you guys already hit on what are going to be like four quality opponents to get to the championship. And I, I think that part alone is going to be their biggest hurdle Lakers Phoenix, I think, are, are the two teams I would pick right now, and to me, it kind of sucks that they would maybe match up in the first round because to me, those are the those are one two, and I don't really know which order, but I think the Clippers are another interesting team as well. I don't see it with Utah, and I don't see it with Denver, so Lakers Suns to me. So I, <clears throat> so I would probably agree with Tom. Uh, the Lakers would still it it is crazy that I am giving I have given this much benefit of a doubt to an NBA team probably ever in my life <laughs> watching a season but when I see LeBron say something like I don't think I'm ever going to be 100% again and then I watch the Lakers Pacers game on Sunday and LeBron's head is at the rim on an alley-oop dunk I'm just like okay this is uh what are we doing here but then I look at the Suns and I've so the Suns have kind of been like my process West. I also have a few, you know, Suns fans. And living on the West Coast, you probably run into more Suns fans. But a few of my best friends are Suns fans as well. So I've kind of rooted for them because they've kind of been, in a more incompetent way, <laughs> the process West. And I've been a big Devin Booker guy. So um, I, I have a special place in my heart for the Suns, and I love what they've done this year. But I, I just can't see... I just can't I'm done betting against LeBron not that I've been a big like person who bets against LeBron all the time but like I got to take you know the best player on the planet when healthy right and it's just a, sometimes it's as simple as that and I do think the Jazz deserve a lot more credit than what my slander probably you know portrays me to be but um I just it depends on me if Donovan Mitchell can I think he can be the number one scoring option on a championship type team, like maybe down the road. I and he kind of proved it obviously against the Nuggets last year. It was a really close seven game series. And I people don't even realize that Jazz actually were a Mike Conley rimming a three out to win that series. Um, but I just I like uh I like the Suns better because Chris Paul and Devin Booker to me are two of the most lethal players in the half court. Um, I think their half court offense is incredible when both are on. And then you look at the lineups with either one of Booker or Paul off, they're both completely positive in the, in the net rating department as well. Um, I just like, I like the Lakers and the Suns. Now the caveat here is if Jamal Murray didn't tear his ACL, I would have picked the nuggets to come out of the West. I just thought, the Nuggets were on a tear. I liked the Aaron Gordon trade when it happened. I thought this was the third or fourth guy they needed. The guy that is 
good at everything, but not great at everything. Like they, like they tried to make him be in Orlando. He was fit nicely into that fourth role. Um, you know, with Michael Porter Jr., Jamal, and and uh, Jokic, obviously. Um, I thought the Nuggets were. I I was I wanted to see a few games of it, but when they made that trade, I really wanted to just pick the Nuggets to come out of the West. Um, and it's just unfortunate that this like the theme with this season injuries have just you know been the story but as it is right now i'd probably have to go with the lakers and and the suns the clippers have been showing me a lot more um since especially since they traded for rondo he's been he's been playing really well and i think the clippers have changed up their offensive portfolio and it's not as many jumpers as it was in the past they're getting to the rim more paul george is getting to the free throw line more um but i just I can't bet against the Lakers. I'm, it'll make this is like the boring pot answer I'm going to give. Sorry, sorry, uh, sorry about that, guys. But I just it's LeBron, man. I can't bet against him, and I just think fully healthy. Anthony Davis's injury still scares me because you watch games of Anthony Davis, and he's when he goes full throttle and he lands, you can still kind of see him like favoring one side a little bit and it just makes me wonder how much that right calf slash Achilles area is affecting him and it, it just makes me scared that he's going to be it's going to be a re-aggravation at some point but fully healthy I have to go with those guys I guess it's just All my right, thought let, process let me run through my west rankings for you guys I think this is the easiest way for me to present it I think we're all in agreement the Lakers should be the favorites playing game or not I think the whole I'll never be 100% again thing from LeBron, which, mind you, LeBron, one of my favorite players in NBA history. Very dramatic. He said it to build up his narrative. It's the same way as Jordan going out there and making a whole documentary, talking about, oh, man, the flu game. It was really just food poison. He's just building up the narrative. (laughs) That way, when he goes and if he wins the title again, it's, man, I did this on an 80% ankle. Right here, GOAT. I mean, he's already the GOAT, but I digress. The second, to me, team in the West, I can't believe you guys don't have them higher. I think Denver is the clear biggest threat to the Lakers, even without Jamal Murray. I think this is the best Jokic has ever played. And I think the key here, they didn't have a great second option. I thought Jamal Murray was a good second option, not a great second option. Michael Porter Jr. is beginning to take those steps into being a great, second option not just a good one and I I think this is his chance this postseason to show he is their second best player and if he takes those kinds of steps I don't know who on the Lakers can actually guard the skill set that Michael Porter Jr. brings to a basketball court because he's an athletic wing who can shoot and those are the most valuable things in the NBA so I would take them as the second best team in the West I think Phoenix is probably third I'd probably say the Clippers are fourth and the Clippers have a high level of variance because the Clippers will have those games where it's like, how could you not think this team is the second best team in the West? And then they have the games where their entire fourth quarter offenses give the ball to Paul George or Kawhi Leonard and hope that they do something with it. And that's when they're terrible. That was their entire reason they got bounced to the playoffs last year was Denver was like, all right, we'll just double both of those guys, have somebody else do something. And if you don't have a coach, you can scheme things up for his guys, which no offense to Ty Lue, that's not the kind of coach he is. I just don't like them in their matchups. And to go back to the Lakers for a second, I think you can make the strong argument. They maybe have the best coach in the West. 
I mean, I, I think Frank Vogel is criminally underrated by people in the media who talk about the NBA. I mean, when he took over that Pacers job, they were like a middling, pretty mediocre team. And then a year later, they were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Like, I... I I just think people undervalue the job he's done there. He's gotten LeBron James to buy into playing defense again in his 17th season in the league, which yep. is incredible that he's gotten him to be able to do that. And I, I just think the Lakers, when it really comes down to it, when we ranked them at the end of the postseason last year, Tom, we said LeBron James is still the best player in the league. And I said Anthony Davis was the second or third best player in the league. If you have two of the five best players in the league, I don't know if I can pick against you in a seven game series because you don't need them both to show up. You need one to give you a great performance every night. And when they can trade off like they kind of did last all, last postseason, it's almost impossible to stop them. To be fair, has LeBron ever like given up on defense? I get what you're saying with Vogel, but getting well, him yeah, to play the, defense I- again. Think, think think about LeBron, right? Those seasons when he was in Cleveland, he wasn't yeah. playing defense. He didn't start playing defense in those with those teams until the NBA Finals. Until he had and to, when he yeah. Got, yeah, when he but but like you would think come playoff time, all right, turn. But he would be in these games. Like remember that Pacers series that went seven games? It was only yeah. seven games because he didn't play any defense. He was like, ah, you guys figure this out. I'll just They're hit the won. shots when it matters. No, they still won. I'm not. I'm not disputing that. <laughs> I am the biggest LeBron <laughs> defender, you know this. But I'm just saying he got a guy in year 17 to like buy into playing hard defense to the point where two years in a row they're going to be a top 2 defense in the NBA. And that's impressive on on like in and of itself that's impressive. And so I again, I just think the Lakers should be the favorites in the West, but they they don't have an easy path to get there whether they would have been the 1 seed or in this scenario where they're going to be the 6 or the 7 seed. Yeah, I don't really think the the West is about as even 1 to 8 as I can maybe remember an NBA conference ever being. And and to me that's really exciting. I'm glad you brought up the Nuggets, Dave, because that brings me a chance to uh give my first upset special here. Uh, oh, three, three words come to mind when I think of the Denver Nuggets in the postseason. That is first round exit. Dame Lillard and the Trailblazers, if they Whoa. get the sixth seed and they get the Nuggets, are going to beat them in the playoffs. The, the Blazers, every single year that I can remember watching the Blazers in the playoffs, with the exception of one, when they got swept by the Pelicans, they have overperformed in the playoffs versus expectations. Dame has been clutch again and again. He's going to be a nightmare. Those Portland guards, especially without Murray for Denver, are going to be a nightmare. Jokic will get his, but I really like this Portland team, and I think they could upset Denver, so I'm going to go there. And it also gives me a chance. Dame, I think Luka, and Steph are the three players I'm most excited to watch. We really haven't talked about any of those three, but must-see television. Not to be that guy, Tom, but when they made the signing, I said the Portland Trailblazers were going to be the second biggest contender in the West. So I'm not, I'm not <laughs> upset with the pick. I'm not upset with it. And I think ever since they traded for Norman Powell, he's kind of been what they've needed in terms of like that third or fourth kind of guy. Like and that he's North just there. South get to the rim guy. Yeah, he, he's going to be there. He He's going to follow his role. He's going to give you good defense. And, you know, he he's not going to complain. You know, if he gets some touches, he's happy with it. He's going to drive, get his points. But he's just there to win basketball games. And I, I like his addition as opposed to what Gary Trent gave them, which was just kind of a, a guy off the bench, which is kind of what Mello is for them already. 
So I do, I do wanted to address uh, David's Nuggets take because while the Nuggets definitely have the talent and Michael Porter Jr. has been spectacular since Murray's injury, I just really think the reason I got off the Nuggets bandwagon after the Murray injury is because one, Murray was playing way better than he was in the bubble for that month. Remember, he started off slow, and then he finally started picking it up. But I just think that one-two punch of Murray and Jokic, their two-man game, that is so crucial to the Nuggets' offense. It gave them way more diversity. They could run the Jokic-Murray two-man game, but then they can also run stuff on the other side, or they could have the option to just bail out on that and do some Jokic dribble handoffs with Michael Porter Jr. or find him on backdoor cuts or Aaron Gordon on backdoor cuts. I just think that Murray was so was their best dribble drive guy to the basket. That's not really Michael Porter Jr.'s game per se. It's more of like a... 6'10", I'm not trying to compare him to this guy, but like a 6'10", Clay Thompson, who is maybe a better cutter um, than Clay was just because Michael Porter is just big, and he has a natural instinct for cutting. I and I just think he has a natural instinct for cutting that's really good. But that they Murray knows so much of what Jokic is going to do and vice versa on those handoffs. Like, I'm going to do a fake cut here and go the other way because I know Jokic will throw me open this way because they've just been so in tune over the years. I just think that two-man game without it, I just the Nuggets really lost like a – you, in the playoffs, things slow down. You have to go to your bread and butter stuff that you know defenses will know it's coming, but you can't really stop it. I just think the Nuggets lost a a big like piece of that. But I understand what you're saying, though, because Jokic, it is possible, yes, to be a Sixer fan and love Joel Embiid with all your heart, but also love Nikola Jokic. Like, I'm a big Nikola Jokic guy, but I just think that, that losing Murray was just a big element of that that I don't think necessarily Michael Porter Jr. could replicate even with him averaging basically 25 since Murray's been gone um I just think that's a big part of the Nuggets game that's going to be missing for sure all right since Tom did it I want us to all go through Tom you can do another one if you'd like but I will go first since you've already given one I want us all to put a team on upset alert Tom has already put the Denver Nuggets on upset alert so Jordan you and me we're going to put teams on upset alert and my team on upset alert I don't care who they play in this seven matchup because I think it's going to be one of two teams the Phoenix Suns are on major upset alert in the first round of the playoffs because they're going to draw either with the Portland Trailblazers or the Los Angeles Lakers as the seventh seed. And I'm sorry, they can't beat either of those teams, in my opinion. And so to me, first round of the playoffs, Phoenix is getting bounced. Honorable mention to the Utah Jazz, who, if they play the Golden State Warriors, may also get bounced in the first round of the playoffs. But I'm going to go with Phoenix. I don't think they get out of the first round no matter who they play. Wow. Even so, even if they play the Blazers, I am just not as high on the Blazers, I guess, as as you guys are. Um, I, Dame I'll, time. I I hey you 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 won't find a bigger Dame fan. Well, you probably will if you listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, but or if any NBA fan, they we all love Dame time here. But uh, my hmm. Well, Dave Dave David did take a good one. It, this is going to be real, really bad because I don't know if I really believe it, but I do think if the Warriors get the eighth seed, 
I really do think they have a chance to beat the Jazz in the first round. That's right. It's and it's It'd be fantastic. I just think Steve Kerr has finally figured out some stuff. You like, you know, like maybe you should run more pick and roll with Steph Curry and Draymond Green for starters, and maybe you know play your best players earlier in the fourth quarter. What a novel concept, I know, uh, but. You just need that dude, right? And Stephen Curry has been that dude. I the Stephen Curry's resurgence, not resurgence, but his uh, revenge tour. I could tell you as a Stephen Curry uh, stan, I've loved Stephen Curry since his Davidson days. I have been really enjoying him, like basically shutting everybody up <laughs> with his, the preseason, like. Uh, you know, oh, can he do this without KD, even though he won a championship and back-to-back uh, MVPs without KD? Can he carry a team that is, you know, not the this really bad roster? And I think the Warriors roster is a little bit better than it gets credit for, but it's really, they when you look at the roster up and down, it's sixth, seventh, eighth guy rotation players. Love Juan Toscano-Anderson, by the way. A great story. Not only that, I think he's going to be a really good role player for that team. Um, in the long haul, Andrew Wiggins has actually quietly had a good year by his standards for sure. Um, I just think I, I just really love the idea of Steph just taking down the state of Utah. And I think I do think the Warriors have the firepower to do that. And so fine. Uh, you know what? I'll do it for the, for the Talgo podcast. I will do it. I think the Warriors beat the jazz in the first round. That, that's what that's what we love to see. As a podcast who's been saying for uh, months that the Utah Jazz would lose in the first round of the playoffs, depending on who they played. Actually, I think we might have said at one point, no matter who they play. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. I, I, I love it. I love the slander. All right, guys, we were coming up here to the end of the podcast. And so, you know, there's only one thing left to do. Tom, Jordan, but Tom specifically in the preseason, we gave a pick for the NBA finals. We picked two teams and we said who we thought would win. You and I both actually picked Lakers-Nets in the NBA Finals before they made the trade for James Harden. We both had the Lakers winning, but let's do it all over again. Tom, Jordan, give me your NBA Finals matchup and give me who wins and in how many games. I will let our uh, our esteemed guest can lead us off. <sighs> Unless he's not ready, because I'm ready to go. I can say. No, I'm ready. It's just going to kill me because, you know... I want my Sixers to be in the finals. But you're a man of reason, of course, so you're going to pick somebody but else. I would say the Nets beat the Sixers in seven. I just, I am scared of their offensive flaws, and maybe it's just me being a conservative fan who's worried about the many flaws this team has that could have them taken down in the playoffs. But I think I would go Nets and Lakers, and I will go Lakers in six. I like that you did. A, I like that you did conference there. You want to give somebody in the West, like who you think the Lakers are going to beat? Do you want to go that so far? I, hmm. It's hard to tell just because the, yeah, the that's, yeah, that's the thing. The seedings uh, are the seedings are a little bit off. Um, but you know, what? I, I hope we get, I hope we get Lakers Clippers conference finals. Um, but 
I'm going to go Lakers Clippers conference finals just based on, I think the Suns. I think the Suns and nuggets will have early outs. I'll go Lakers Clippers out and I will go Lakers in six, but uh, then the Lakers will beat the nets in six just because LeBron is the goat. And I think Anthony Davis being back. Well, obviously don't need to say it really it helps the Lakers um, and hugely in that regard. Sorry, it's chalk, but you know that's okay. That's okay. I have uh, I, I have given my Nets Sixers opinion. I think I like the Nets in six. I I don't believe they will win Game Seven at Wells Fargo. I think if the Nets are going to win the series, it has to be in six. So I'll take them there. I've been tossing a few teams around in the Western Conference. I had the Lakers preseason, but. Talgo MVP Chris Paul has done perhaps his <laughs> finest job in Phoenix. You guys seem to be putting him on upset alert. I don't love the matchup with the Lakers in the first round if they get the Lakers, but you know what? Steph, go ahead and just beat them. You get the seventh seed. Suns can beat the Warriors instead. That's fine. Give me the Phoenix Suns. I think they're upstart I like enough. It. I like what CP3 is doing, and they're why not? It's been a crazy season, so you know I'm I'm not loving the Lakers. I think it comes back to. All that they went through last year and some of the concerns they still have with their health. So I'm going to take the Suns over. I like the Clippers pick. I'll take the Suns over the Clippers because they're probably going to have to play the Lakers earlier. But I'll take the Nets over the Suns in the championship. Give me uh, give me six games. Nets over Suns. All right. So I think the Lakers are going to end up being the seventh seed. So that's why I think the Suns will not have an opportunity to play them. Uh, later in the playoffs. Because I think the Suns, if they didn't have to get the Lakers, could go to the conference finals. But instead, I will take the Lakers over. I'm looking at it now. Why can't I find the team I was thinking of? Uh, Let's go Lakers over the... Uh, they'd have to play each other before. That's the thing. Everything I look at, I'm like, oh, well, they'd have to play them before. So it becomes this big problem where everyone would have to play everyone I'll just before. take the Lakers. So just pencil in the Lakers. No, no I'll, I'll go I'll go Lakers over the Clippers as well. I think the Clippers are good enough to get to the conference finals, but I just, I don't see them being able to beat the Lakers. So give me the Lakers in, I don't know, six or seven over the Clippers. It'd probably be six because all those games are home games essentially anyway. So give me the Lakers over the Clippers. And then in the East... Call me irrational. Call me crazy. The Brooklyn Nets are not getting past the Milwaukee Bucks. I am 100% positive on this one, and I've been positive about it for about two months. So give me the Sixers and the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals, because I think the Sixers have a cakewalk there. And then here's the reason why the team I'm going to pick is going to be in the NBA Finals. (laughs) In the last two years, excluding when there were not fans in the arena, the Philadelphia 76ers are 57 and 10 at home. Insane. They could lose all of their road games, and I still would pick them to come out of the East. I think the Philadelphia 76ers are going to win the Eastern Conference. There's going to be a, they're going to need some help, but I think this team is just so good at home that the one seed is that valuable to them. And so I think the Philadelphia 76ers come out of the East. I think it goes seven games, and the home court advantage wills them into the NBA Finals. And then, you know what? They'd have the home court advantage again against the Lakers. I may or may not have money on this already, but give me Philadelphia 76ers, the 2021 NBA champions. Joel Embiid, as I saw on Twitter, will hoist his son Arthur above his head like Simba and the Lion King. The city will be burnt to the ground and we will celebrate on its ashes. 
uh, you know, we're just going to have to constantly rebuild the city after after teams win the championship. I'm glad, I'm I glad hope you I have enough money saved seasons. by then so I can fly in for the championship parade from the West Coast. <laughs> I will be there. I will climb a pole and I will be arrested. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up those two seasons because all four of those series they played, they lost at least one game at home. So nice try. If the Sixers played the Bucks they in lost, the Eastern when they, Conference when they Finals, the Nets, I agree. When they played the Nets, pick. they lost at home. When they played the Raptors, they lost at home. And the year before, they lost to both the Heat and the Celtics at Wells Fargo. I, they also stole a game on the road against the Raptors and ended up losing the series, partially because Jimmy Butler should have dribbled the clock out there at the end of the game, but also because they didn't have the home court advantage. That's why they lost Game 7 against the Raptors. I'm I think they win an, that series. It's not an impenetrable fortress. I'm just saying, you know. Even the the lowly Brooklyn Nets beat them there. The lowly Miami Heat beat them there. And then the they lost in five. So I mean, what what what's it really matter? If the, it's Sixers, Sixers Bucks, I agree. Sixers at seven. If the Nets, I just don't think it, it doesn't matter who's on the <laughs> in what court. <laughs> I kid you not. If the Sixers play the Nets, give me the Sixers in five. I'm that confident Ooh. in the the Nets not being as good as everyone Ooh. thinks they are. And I actually think the Sixers of all the teams in the playoffs. It's them and the Bucks match up best with the Nets, but they're the only. I'm sorry, there's only one of this man in the NBA. There's only one, one Matisse Thybul, oh. and he plays for the Philadelphia 76ers. And to me, he's the key in a series against the Nets. He would probably start, in my opinion, in a series against the Nets. And I think they would match up best with the Nets because of him. And he's just, he's a game wrecker. You throw him out there and he destroys your entire offensive game plan. So give me the Philadelphia Sixers marching down Broad Street in, when's the season end this year? Like August or something terrible like that? July like 23rd or something. It would be game seven of the like NBA it. Finals. I like it. It's going to be hot. Oh, everyone's going to be sweating. I'm going to be sweating on the Broad Street. The beer shower's going to be, gonna be beautiful. Ugh. See, if this ends up happening... I will have two polar opposite championship experiences because when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, I was, and I've described it as this, I was so cold standing on Broad Street that I thought my feet and the ground were now one. I did, I could no longer tell <laughs> what was my foot and what was the ground. In this, it will be so hot, I will just melt into the ground. So it will be an interesting juxtaposition between uh, when the Eagles won and then when the Sixers, as I've proclaimed, win the NBA championship. Uh, Only sad part there is it will give more fuel to people who say LeBron's not as good as we think he is, but I digress. Uh, Jordan, this is the end of the podcast. Thank you for coming on with us. Tell the people where they can find you. So you can find me at a lot of places, but you can first find my Twitter account at, at Jordan underscore Xmas. I wish it was my full name, but there's an inactive account that has the name at Jordan Christmas that hasn't been used since 2010. Twitter, please fix that. Um, also, you can find me at the Sly Hooper podcast, which is part of the esteemed Blue Wire Hustle podcast network, much like the Talgo pod. You can check me out at Box Out Banter with uh, me and Chris Okamura and also my YouTube channel where, you know, I make videos about basketball, video games, cartoons, whatever comes to the mind. Um, and yeah, you could just find Basically, anything Sly Hooper, so check me out. Also, Sly Hooper's Twitter handle, at Sly Hooper X. All right, Jordan, thank you again. And Tom, any final thoughts? Give me the Nets, man. Nets Suns. I'm ready to see it. I'm, I'm tired of the Lakers. Let's get, let's get somebody else in here. <laughs> Listen, you might be tired of the Lakers and tired of LeBron James, but you know some of us actually enjoy watching greatness. I'm tired of the Lakers, what... not LeBron James. <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So we're all kind of somewhere in the middle here. Um, well, thank you again f- to everyone for listening to this edition of There's a Lot Going On. You know what to do. Go on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Leave a question or things you want us to talk about. Or tell us about how wrong Tom is on his NBA Finals pick. Oh, wait until so, wait until Jan- July 23rd, though. Come on. Get out of here. It, you, Tom will be wrong. You can just go leave the comment now. So... For Tom Shively, for Jordan Christmas, I'm David Arroyo. Thank you once again for tuning in to another edition of There's a Lot Going On. Catch you back here next week.